Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Welcome, everyone, to Project Management Office Hours, broadcasting to you live today from Phoenix Business Radio X studios in Tempe, Arizona. We're sponsored by the PMO Squad. We're advancing your project management best practices is our number one priority. And I'm your host, PMO Joe. I'm super excited today to kick off this new show with our special guests, Kristen Call and Carrie Van Sickle. Welcome. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Just wanted to remind everybody who's listening that we are monitoring Twitter. So if you have a question for Kristen or Carrie or myself, just use hashtag PMO Joe and we will get to you live on air. Now, before I begin with Kristen and Carrie, I want to take a moment to acknowledge a great event that I went to last evening with the PMI Phoenix chapter uh, March dinner meeting. Uh, usually we go to those events and it's it's what you would expect from a industry event. You get to meet people and talk and you have a good discussion. But last night's was a little bit special for me and exceeded my expectations. So I just wanted to take a moment and acknowledge that the PMI chapter here in Phoenix is celebrating its 40th anniversary. And with that, they're bringing in lots of special guests this year for their dinner meetings and last night was no exception. They had brought in Jim Snyder, who's one of the original founders of PMI. And he gave us a fantastic tour of history to go back to how PMI was started, who the founders are, how it all happened. Um, and PMI now has grown to over 500,000 members in 200 countries across the world. The PMI started back in 1969, so next year will be its 50-year anniversary. And to think in 50 years to get up to 50 or 500,000 members in 200 countries is quite an accomplishment. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was special about it was it wasn't Jim giving us uh, a pretentious trip down history lane. It was more of a, there's five founding members, two of them have passed away. And here's the me passing the torch to the next generation. And in order for you to carry on with what we've started, I think you need to know where we began. So there was pictures back from Georgia Tech where the first classes were instructed. Uh, The Roosevelt Hotel in New Orleans where they had their first meetings to plan how to organize PMI. The home in Atlanta where the discussions around the dinner table were taking place. The first staff members who joined PMI and all the different offices that they've had over years. So it it was a really fascinating walk to help those who... I've really benefited in my career essentially is all because of PMI and I'm now an advocate for project management. So to, to be a part of that last night was really special. And I just wanted to thank Jim Snyder and the PMI chapter for making that happen. It sounds like it was an interesting turn from what we usually concentrate on, right? The PMBOK and going through the 10 different topics and actually um, talking about how the organization really I guess, encompasses not only the knowledge base, but all the people in it. Yeah, it, it, was, it was great to, to be able to say, where did we start to be able to have those discussions today? So it was great. I loved it. So that was Carrie. So Carrie, how about you introduce yourself to the listeners and, and give them a chance to get to know you a little bit better? Sure, happy to. Let's see. So I'm currently at the global program lead for GE Digital. So GE Digital is a new subsidiary of General Electric Global. Let's see, I've lived in Phoenix for about 15 years now. Originally started my career 
at PricewaterhouseCoopers, have worked at a couple different positions in Phoenix. I was talking to Kristen earlier, so I did make a turn through PetSmart once upon a time. (laughs) Um, And I joined GE about a year and a half ago after um, a stint of 10 years at SAP. So I did get to play several roles at SAP, including a project manager, program manager, as well as um, getting into the sales side. So I know we'll talk a little bit about that today in terms of PMO as a service, and how do you introduce that to um, to other companies? And my dad worked for GE back in Schenectady, New York, where GE was founded. Um, and back in the day, you know, there was forty thousand employees at that GE uh, location, and it's since shrunk quite a bit. But when I so when I think of GE, I don't think of GE Digital, right? That that to me is a stretch, right? How where how does that happen? And uh, well, really, GE's had a foundation of software and implementing, even hardware to a point, but software and implementing their solutions. They have typically always been industrial-based solutions that are very like niche market. And the idea, this stemmed, I don't know, five or six years ago, was really to how can we get the company out of being kind of the the industrial analog company and really... um, switch not only the technology, but also the people in the processes to be much more digital. And so to incorporate not only design thinking and strategic planning into into growing your strategy and your technology base, but also look at the technology and see how can we utilize big data, the cloud, analytics and algorithms. And so really begin to leverage, I guess, the latest and greatest. Yeah, and I think maybe that transformation for GE also speaks to a little bit of the transformation about project management as a profession, right? Absolutely. You know, a lot of times I'm at client sites or just talking out there in peer groups and people talk to me about, get project management. Aren't you just an assistant, right? Aren't you just, what do you, you don't really do anything, right? So how, how have you seen that there's a misconception that project management is just an easy thing to do? This is actually one of my hot topics because um, it, on my most recent project, that was the customer's point of view, is that they took someone from another department and said, well, we'll just take this person who has no, I'll call it formal, but in this case, it was any project management experience, and um, we'll put them in the role of project manager, and they should be fine. And I think... I think that was okay years ago when um, when we were doing simple, maybe a simple construction project or a relatively straightforward software project. But in the new digital transformations where we're really not only changing the technology, but changing the mindset and the thinking, to have someone that's not experienced and, and doesn't understand uh, the structure of a project, the requirements in terms of managing risk and putting together a, um, a communication plan, a governance model, and, and having a rigorous escalation plan, um, it, 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 it makes it much more difficult and already a complex engagement. Yeah, one of the things, going back to Jim Snyder's talk last night, back in 1969 when they started this, right? he talked about one of the first formal projects that, that used the discipline was putting a man on the moon, right? And think about that. If, if there's a mistake, 
that's a big problem, mm-hmm. right? And that's the whole object of project management is to keep us organized so that we don't have those fatal flaws. Absolutely. Whether it's a, a project that we've all done at home, whether you're building a house we live in or driving a car that we uh, have to go down the highway or a software project, everything in any organization touches project management. And that's why it's so important to the world today. Yeah. So I'm guilty. I, um, I created a project plan on the kitchen remodel. (laughs) And I, uh, I, well, we didn't have stand up meetings, but, um, you know, every couple of days I was tracking my, my, my husband is, um, very handy. And so he did most of it. So he was the one resource. It was, it was tough, tough, (laughs) but yeah. And I know I, I like to call the the project managers who get assigned that task in an organization without any training, right? Those are accidental project managers, right? Mm-hmm. Those are the folks who are usually subject matter experts in whatever their field may be. And then they get put into that position of having to lead a project with no training and no experience. And, and man, they usually just fail miserably. And unfortunately for them, their career takes a hit at that point, right? Because they lose that reputation as being somebody who can deliver. Uh, and it was really through no fault of their own. Kristen, uh, it's not every day that we get to talk with the president. So I didn't see any secret <laughs> service out there when, when we got to meet. Well, I, 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 it's the president of a local chapter. So it's not, <laughs> but it's some context there. So how about you introduce yourself as well to the listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So happy to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me. Um, so I am the local chapter president for um, an international uh, uh, Institute for Business Analysts, known as IIBA, and they are chapters all over the world um, that support business analysts. And just like uh, PM, where a organization doesn't recognize the difficulty of the job, and what an organization that helps back them up can help their help them understand what techniques and what uh, what they need in order to be successful. It's very similar, um, and there's a lot of synergies between a PM and a BA in the IT world. And that's where I specialize mm-hmm. is in the IT world. So I'm at PetSmart right now. I am actually a uh, technical manager, product owner. So what that basically means is I have software um, applications that I own and I help develop, um, mostly in the store space. Um, I always have an affinity for retail. I started in convenience stores and I worked on my way up at $5.25 an hour to become a supervisor. So I have a a very special place in my heart for retail folks. And and I went into technology because I I love troubleshooting. So there's a a type of personality that makes up a BA and separates the PMs, I think, from the BAs, even though we we cross over on on occasion and we do end up running projects from time to time. But um, we love troubleshooting and we love finding answers and we like to help our stakeholders find answers to their needs or create things that they didn't even know they could have. What's the possibility of what they can can have? And um, so at PetSmart, I get to be able to um, help them get from point A to point B in not the speed of light by any means, because nothing is in the speed of light at retail, but try to bring all the techniques that I possibly can from experience and from uh, professional organizations and things like that. So, And of course, the business analyst role is so critical to all projects. And, and when leveraged properly, right, they can really make a big difference. But how do you know when you see a good VA, right? What, what, is the, what are the characteristics of that of a person? 
It's a good question. Um, I think there are standards out there. IBA actually has uh, standards that you can say this is a good BA. But um, I think overall, uh, someone is curious who wants to know why they ask a lot of questions and they want to be a, a SME on that application. Someone who can really dive in and understand it. They're not a developer, but they can understand how code functions. They're not a, uh, on the business side, but they understand how business works. So they really are the middleman between the business and the IT world. And they're the translators of what business needs and what IT needs to hear. So it's they really are um, that special person in the middle. They don't strive to be a PM. That's they don't like checking boxes and and and, <laughs> and building out schedules. That's not their forte. They'll do it if they have to, but uh, what they really want to do is be able to solve problems. And uh, so those are you know some of the critical things that I look for in BAs if they're going to be successful or not. If you don't like troubleshooting and you don't like getting into the weeds and you don't like asking why, that's it's not for you. <laughs> As president of the local chapter, I'm assuming there may be some events that you guys have coming up that you'd like to talk to or? Yeah, absolutely. We do have, um, so we do have uh, events every month, but we have a very special uh, event happening this year. It's our very first ever uh, uh, analyst, uh, business analyst development day. We call it BAD. And it's going to be a full day where we're going to have speakers, very special speakers to come. It's designed to a technical a training. It's designed to help you leap forward in your career as a as an analyst. And uh, we're super excited about uh, some of our speakers. Bob the BA, who I haven't met him personally, but he's been raved about. He's very high energetic and he loves also being an analyst. Uh, we're really accept- uh, excited about that. And that's uh, again, September 18th. And it'll be an all-day event. And you can um, go to our website here soon and we'll be able to get you a link and you can sign up. And uh, that, it's at phoenix.iiba.org. Uh, That's great. I think that sounds like a fun event. Even, and even for people who aren't pure BA, someone like us in the project management profession, to understand that skill set and that role a little bit better, it might be something that we would want to check out. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And it, and as far as the cost, um, you know, we spend thousands of dollars of going to conferences and things like this. This is under $200. So it's actually very reasonable um, to get this kind of training. Uh, and also to be able to mingle with other people and to meet people from other organizations, find out how they do things. Uh, so it is actually a really great opportunity. Okay, but I have to ask, because I'm PMP, does it come with PDUs? It does. Okay, great. <laughs> Good to hear. <laughs> it does. Um, we, it's a, it's an interesting thing. We have to actually uh, get IBA to sign off on whether or not we can do PDUs and things okay. like that. But we have an organization that's helping us, ASPE, who actually reached out to the P, uh, PMI to make sure that we could give PDUs as well. And so they also uh, agreed to, to be able to allow that. So you have to have special, special uh, considerations to be able to hand those out. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, especially at that price point. Yeah. Um, yep. So that's perfect. Yep. So as I was getting to know each of you a little bit better, I noticed that we all enjoy running. And yeah. Carrie, I think you volunteer with a couple of different running clubs locally. Yep. I, I run with uh, the Soul Source Running Group when I can get out there um, down in Tempe. And then um, I've also been volunteering with Girls on the Run here locally. So to put a plug in for their next, next 5K on April 28th, it's a great organization that targets third, fourth, fifth, sixth, that age, girls in elementary schools. So, And Kristen, I think the first time we had met, 
uh, we were chatting in the Starbucks and you were telling me about some great trails that you run around locally as well. Yeah, that's one of the things I love about Arizona is everywhere, Superstition Mountains, um, East Valley, West Valley, you can always find a trail to run somewhere. Uh, of course, my favorite is the Grand Canyon. Uh, <laughs> and uh, if you ever get an opportunity to challenge yourself to do it uh, in and out in a day, I definitely recommend it. It's, uh, it's a great challenge and, and uh, it's one of my favorite things to do. And see, project managers are people too, right? We have different interests outside of just our profession. I know last show we talked with uh, John and Linda from Cancer Treatment Center of America and WebPT, and they both have uh, animal work groups that they work with, right? Charities and organizations beyond just work as well. A little self-promotion here for myself. I'm running the Marine Corps Marathon in October this year which will be marathon number five. And uh, I'm a long way from being ready to run that marathon. So I am in training and I'm also doing fundraising. So I'm raising uh, for the charity team, Red, White and Blue, which is an organization that helps support veterans, keeping them active in the community and assisting with their transition after they get out of the military. So if uh, you're up to it, it would be great to get a donation and you can visit pmojo.com. I have a link to the Team Red, White, and Blue uh, site where you can get more information about them and also a link to a page to be able to make a donation for my fundraising. So that's going to be in October. So to all the listeners out there, as we work our way from today through October, hopefully uh, pictures and videos you see of me, I'll start looking like I'm in better shape than I am today. <laughs> that's out in D.C. Correct. Right, that run? Nice. Yep. Yeah, uh, the People's Marathon. So it's, uh, it's going to be a fun time. That's a great cause. My son is actually a Marine, so I, I fully support that. <laughs> awesome. It's uh, in my company, we're at the PMO Squad. We do a veterans project management mentoring program where we pair veterans who are trying to transition into civilian project management careers mm-hmm. with PMPs uh, to help those veterans understand maybe some of the nuances of getting certified or perhaps on the job. What are some of the things you need to look at within the civilian life compared to a military project management where there is a lot of chain of command influence that you may not have within an organization. So veterans are important to me, family members and friends who have all served. And uh, it's my chance to give back to those who have risked it all so we could do what we enjoy doing. And you're looking for mentors, I would assume. We are. Actually, our next wave of mentoring will start on April 15th. Uh, you can go out to the pmosquad.com. There's a link there for mentoring to sign up either as a veteran or as a mentor. Uh, we try to do 15 veterans per quarter. And we've partnered with two organizations, Vets to PM and Veterans to Work. And they usually help us uh, find the veterans who need the mentoring. And then I'm on the hook for going out there to uh, find the PMPs to go out there. So This past quarter, we had 19 states represented, three different countries, uh, and uh, we've got great feedback out on the website. I've posted some of the feedback from the participants of the program of how they've enjoyed it and how much it's helped them. So for me, it's a great opportunity for the PMO squad to give back uh, to those, again, who are risking it all for us. Fantastic. Sounds great. Now, Carrie, uh, we first met at a PMI function, yep. uh, one of the, the dinner meetings that I had mentioned at the top of the show, and you had been asked to speak about PMO as a service at one of the Chandler breakfast meetings, and unfortunately, your schedule didn't allow you to do that, so I did that. So I took your yes, spot on that, you. and thank you for coming back on the show. 
So what is PMO as a service, right? What, what, what was your topic? You didn't get to talk that day. So right, here's your right. shot. What were you going to exactly. say? So the reason I was asked to speak in particularly because was because my business card when I met Tom, who runs the Chandler Breakfast Meeting, was services sales. And he was unfamiliar with why services or consultants would need a sales, a, a dedicated salesperson. And when I started to explain, it was because we had, you know, anywhere from functional consultants, business analysts, or, or project managers, that it was my job to work with companies to sell those type of services. At SAP and GE, it's in particular around our dedicated software, but with PMO squad, I assume, you know, it's, it's a wide range of different projects. And so that intrigued Tom because he had not, he had almost come up through the ranks of companies such as PetSmart having their own PMO in their own dedicated project managers. And he didn't think of it as something that could be outsourced. So that's where the conversation started. Yeah. Another benefit of PMI is that each year they put out a report called the pulse of the profession, which gives great data. And in the 2018 report, I believe the number, uh, and, and I'm sure the listeners can go out there and fact check me on this, is I think it's 63 or 68% of organizations use outside project management help. So in the gig economy that we're moving towards, you, you don't want to satisfy all of your demand internally, because as you flex up and down with your portfolio, it, it's hard to maintain a staffing level that matches that. So you partner with organizations that can supply that, such as the PMO Squad, of mm -hmm. course. And we do as a service model where just as we do with data centers today and payroll and everything else that we have done in this as a service world. And I imagine GE Digital is, is in the same boat. Yes, uh, yeah, absolutely. So we prefer to do the larger engagements where not only are we bringing in that project management expertise, but along with it, we bring in our solution architects, our engineers, our data scientists, our technical consultants. However, there are, there are times, I'm actually right now working on a project in Japan with a financial group where what they're looking for is program leadership to really begin that strategic plan around the program. And so, you know, it, it's not single threading the, the opportunity, but it's really that launching point to where I can grow that opportunity with not only a broader uh, consulting team, but also the services that go along with that. What I love about that model, we had a, a client back in Atlanta who had hired Accenture to do an implementation uh, for an e-commerce platform, mm -hmm. but they didn't uh, have the expertise and or availability of resources in-house to pair with Accenture. So they had hired us as consultants to run the program, even though Accenture was their provider. So a service integrator was in play, but there's still an opportunity, again, for a consultant to come in and protect the client's perspective to ensure that it's a win-win both for the client and for the vendor. So I don't know if you yeah, encounter that as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm seeing it more and more where especially as um, companies look to outsource, they don't want to be beholden, if you will, to the SI itself. And so, as you say, hire, um, hire consultants to, be, to protect their own interests. Absolutely. And I, I anticipate that continuing to grow. No, I, I mean, one of the reasons I love project management is that it's used throughout the organization, right? It's, it's 
not just an IT function, although it's more prevalent in IT, it seems these days, but I see it expanding beyond just IT into enterprise PMOs and into business functions as well. So have you had experience seeing how it's a great way to open doors to the other parts of organizations? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think when I, you know, I think, I think one of the, one of the interesting things that if we think of PMO as a service can, can do is actually come in with a fresh perspective on the company's processes. So even if they have a PMO in place or if they have project management in place, it's really um, evaluating um, how they're implementing or their processes around project management and giving a fresh perspective on that. Um, I think just in terms of that gig economy you were talking about, and as we're all moving towards, you know, it's, it's, how how do you make sure that you as an individual can open as many doors as possible? And a lot of times the PMP credential is just really table stakes. Like you've just got to have it even to be considered. And so I think that's also a way that it's it's a door opener and can provide a wider range of opportunities. Just a reminder for everybody listening out there that we are monitoring Twitter. So if you have a question for Carrie, Kristen, or myself, just use hashtag PMO Joe, and we will get that to a response to you on air. And Kristen, we last episode, we had Linda Stanton on. As I mentioned, she's the PMO manager at WebPT. And she had talked about how she started her career as a BA. Mm-hmm. And she has now moved on and in, in into the project management space. Can you provide your perspective on the importance of the BA role in organizations and on projects? Um, absolutely. So... As it, I've, I've actually had a lot of different positions on projects. Uh, I currently don't actually use PMs on my projects. I'm a control freak and I like to do things exactly <laughs> the way I like to do them. And, um, but the BA, um, without a BA on a project, you miss what requirements need to be. Uh, you have a, would have a huge gap, especially, and I'm always talking about IT. So I just, I know that PM can have many, many, uh, worlds, but in the IT world, the BA is who who strengthens the project to be able to gather gather all the requirements. What are the business needs? Why are we doing this? Um, being able to take those needs and graphically put them into a picture so people can see how to get from A to B and is there any missing uh, gaps? And the really uh, experienced BAs will um, always do negative. What are we missing? What's, uh, you know, think of an artist who is thinking there's the positive space and the negative space. You know, the BAs have to be able to look at both. Um, they also have to understand the timeline of a project and how do you put all the pieces together. Um, anytime I'm looking at a project, it really is like a puzzle. I have all of these needs and user stories and things all scattered all over the place. How do I bring those together to build that big picture that my user thinks they're going to get? And then, you know, the, the, PM, uh, the BA world has, has grown significantly. So I know that we use the term business analyst, but it can mean so many things. It can be a systems analyst, somebody that understands underneath the covers. Uh, they don't write code again, but they can understand how does that code work? And when I ask for a requirement, what's the impact of that? They have to test. They, they have to take all these different capacities and be able to... Um, uh, project manager on time, you know, how do I get it all done? How do I make sure that my, um, what is expected in this project is actually going to be able to fulfill on that at the end of this. And depending on whether you're agile or waterfall, you know, the, the activities are very, very similar. The detail in which you write it down might be a little bit different, but, um, 
the, that's some of the really important things. They also just need to make sure that they're the trusted partner between the business and IT, that when they say something, it's, it's the truth. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's hard to know stuff and it's okay to say, hey, I don't know that, but I'm going to find out. It's also um, really important that they understand documentation and, and have a balance between a very thorough documentation because as we know, everything changes, right? So uh, what you started with is probably not what you're going to end up with. And so you have to kind of balance out how do I document this and how do I share this knowledge when I'm not on this project anymore? So there's just, you know, lots of importance with without that BA. You're going to have huge missing gaps and the business is busy doing their business. They don't have time to to really dive into that. And that's one of the reasons why the BA was evolved. Now at PetSmart, we don't actually have a pure BA and we don't have a pure uh, systems analyst SA. They, they are basically the same thing. Um, and they also fill into QA. So they serve so many different positions and different uh uh, things that they need to have in their 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 bucket mm-hmm. for techniques to be able to make those projects su- successful. And I think Carrie alluded to it a little bit with project managers that organizations today blur the lines a little bit on what the traditional role of a project manager is. And certainly at my client sites, I've seen the same with BAs. How, as president of a local chapter, right, that's focused on the, the profession of BA, how do you handle that when you hear an organization is maybe stretching the definition of the BA and, and morphing it to fit their needs? Well, you do your best. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I actually do a training. Uh, I do a scrum training with Legos and it actually kind of helps you learn why it's important to have definition in roles. Um, it can really cause confusion of who's doing what if you don't define, regardless of what it is, you just define this person's doing this, this person's doing this, right? I mean, think of you're in the kitchen and you've got a couple of cooks in there. And if everybody's trying to cook the same dish, you're, you'd be stepping all over each other, right? So it's really, it's important to define uh, the roles. And so it, training and seeing is believing, I always say, and I do try to work with my leadership and, and it's baby steps sometimes. And every organization is different and, and they're all trying to find out how do we save money? You know, mm-hmm. how do we make this project um, under budget? You know, we have a budget, but how do we make sure it comes under budget? But you don't want to compromise. And it's, it's you know, we're dealing with people here. And I, my philosophy is a project will work itself out if you got the right people in place and you have the right empowerments in place. And, you know, it's going to get done because that's what we do. I think that anyone in that, those positions wants to be successful. So focus on the people. The project will work itself out. So I'm fascinated by this Lego training. So is it is <laughs> the different color Legos represent the different roles and, and you're showing how to put them together? No, the Legos really are there to help you build. It's, it's the software. Think okay. of the Legos as the software. And it takes you out of your world so you don't know what to do. So you basically, you, you go through the scrum roles, you know, so you have a scrum master, you have a product owner, you have your development team, your testers, those kinds of things. And you take the Legos. I have them, they're on, you know, hopefully you have about 20 people. So they're on different uh, tables and you're building a town. So you have user stories and each user story tells you a little bit about what you're building. And you go through some of the, it's, it's supposed to be lessons learned through Legos, right? So 
One of the things about Agile that I, when I first started doing Agile, I didn't like it. I hated it. I thought it was crazy. I thought this was ridiculous. I have no idea what we're doing. And I could never see the big picture. As I evolved and I learned more about it and I, and I stopped resisting liking it, I really saw that if I, I, it's my job to learn and what is that big picture? I have to be able to do that myself. And that's personal responsibility. And that's when I fell in love with Agile because it is about me getting it and everybody else around me getting it as well. And so that was one of the things that when you take yourself out of, oh, I know how to build software. I know how to do that. Mm-hmm. The Legos are supposed to help you do right. that. And people start seeing how fast they can get things done and how collaboration works. And, and if I don't know how to do something or if I don't have a piece, I can go ask that guy over there. Or if I, you know, there's all these different things that um, I, I try to build into the process of building a town with Legos. Yeah, that brings back a memory many years ago, probably too many years ago, I attended at MIT uh, executive certificate program, and we used the beer game. Uh, and it's uh, one of the professors at MIT had built this game where each group within the, the team represents either the, the buyer of the beer, the distributor of the beer, the manufacturer of the beer, the warehouse that stores it, the, the trucking company that moves it. You talk about you own that role different teams and it becomes a competition of which team can utilize their different roles the best to produce the most beer that's sold to end consumers with a certain amount of money in a certain amount of time. And those games take you out of the day-to-day that you just talked about where you're just so in a rut and you can't see the forest through the trees to give you an appreciation for some different thinking. Mm -hmm. So I love hearing different techniques like that um, because I know personally it's been so beneficial to me. Yeah, it's it's really hard. I mean, as humans, right? We we want predictability. That's what we live for. Um, you, you know, despite our nose on our face, right? We will we'll continue to do what's predictable. And sometimes we have to just stop, question ourselves, question what's happening around us to get a different result. You know, we have, and it's scary, right? It's it's scary. And if you don't have an organization, and and thank goodness, PetSmart has a, a great grace for me that, that just lets me kind of do things they, you know, you have to be able to fail and you have to be able to try new things. And, you know, I think we're, we're changing the way we view failure in our culture. Um, failure is not a bad thing. If you're not failing, you're not trying. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is changing the way that we look at things and you can't just always go the safe route. Um, you know, we didn't get to the moon by going to the safe route, right? right. So um, it goes with our internal into our own organizations um, when do we take risks? When don't we take risks? Because, you know, you don't want to always take a, a ton of risks, but you have to be able to move the, the needle forward sometimes. Yeah. And I really like how you've described agile because it's, Joe, I think it's one of the things I raised to you. You know, it seems to be such the hot in thing, right? And so I like that you're actually illustrating for people to see through Legos what agile really is, because I feel like that, or at least I know that many of the um, um, customers I've worked with, it's almost the buzzword, right? It's the... It's been around 20 years. It's, it's not a buzzword right? anymore. Right? <laughs> so, so here's the conversation I had recently uh, with one of my customers. They said, we're agile. We want to do everything agile, but I want to know exactly what date you're going to have this exact <laughs> thing delivered. So give me that date. Wait, 
okay, um, let's talk about what agile versus <laughs> right. waterfall is, right. right? And they were like, no, 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 we don't need to talk about it. We're agile. Yeah. So, I mean, so I think those type of, um, those type of um, illustrations, like through the Lego game, really help. Yeah, you just have to question, you know, what is agile? I mean, I've never seen a pure agile environment. It just doesn't happen very often. But, you know, all the training that I've had with agile has has evolved, right? Uh, I just recently went to a training and they don't even point anymore because it wasn't valuable. And most of the time, organizations don't even want to measure how fast that sprint was going. So if you know, if it does, if it's, if you're not doing it and it doesn't work, don't just stop doing it. Right. Right. <laughs> stop stop stepping in that pile of mud, Right. <laughs> you know, walk around it. Uh, just because the path goes forward doesn't mean you can't walk around it. So it's, it's uh, one of the things I, Again, I do like Agile. And, and if you really are with the, the people who, who love and train and teach it, they'll tell you, uh, use the scientific method. Is it, you know, have an hypothesis, put it in a sprint. Did it work? If it doesn't work, you know, don't do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I think with PMO as a service, that's, you, have to, you have to ensure that the customer is flexible, right? Because I could, I actually... Uh, it caught my breath a bit because I could hear my customer going, won't that put us two weeks behind, you know? And so then having to show them the, you know, pretty Gantt chart that right. shows that we have enough slack that we are not now two weeks behind. So, yeah, I think it's it's those fundamentals that you have to establish up front um, in order to have that type of flexibility. Yeah. And, and, and I think you brought up a good point, too. It's also a real balance between um, a science and an art. Right. Because um, project management, we use scientific facts, but at the same time, it's very much an art form. Um, it's not always going to work out exactly the way we planned out. So what do we do? You know, how do you how do you change? And that's why Agile is there. Mm-hmm. It's not to replace good documentation. It's not replacing good pr- practices. It's there to say, you know, what? we just we just hit a roadblock. What do we do? Well, shift and change. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I've never met a project that, that didn't have to shift and change and adapt to whatever the environment holds. Yeah, and I think it goes back a little bit, the resistance or the, the skepticism maybe that some have, as you mentioned, Kristen, is we like a predictable world, mm-hmm. right? I tell my children all the time when I talk to them just about things like playing video games is the video game is a piece of software code. The developer who built it used a pattern. Find the pattern and you will conquer the game. And it's the same with life, right? You drive to work the same route, you park in the same parking spot, you leave for lunch at the same time, you take the same route home, you go run on the same trails. We live in that world of patterns and Agile breaks the barriers and the walls of that way of thinking. Yes. Right? It, It doesn't allow you to build that schedule that's six months long and then try to calculate the exact path of the way events are going to occur. And yet we still get stuff done. It's just kind of amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and again, going back to the pulse of the profession, in 2018 report they, they just published uh, earlier in February, they had talked about um, this shift now to a blended world that we live in, right? Waterfall, they're not using that word anymore. It's now predictive as opposed to waterfall, oh. right? So hmm. they're... The percent they did a survey on the percentage of projects that use the predictive approach was at forty four percent. The percentage that use agile was at thirty percent, which is a nice increase actually from where it had been. And then the percent using a hybrid approach was at twenty three percent. 
So you can see the shift towards if you add the agile and the hybrid, it now exceeds the predictive. So we're definitely moving in a direction that I don't think we're ever going to be agile versus waterfall. I think it's a, a silly discussion to have, right? It's what do you need to do to get the job done? Right. It doesn't matter how you do it. You just need to do it. And the hybrid, I think, is going to be the route that most likely we'll take as yeah. we go forward. That was one of the PMI meetings that recently exceeded my expectations was, and uh, I know I'm going to butcher her name a bit, Sina Shihei. I actually think she was with PetSmart for a while. Oh, yeah. And she actually did a great presentation and she broke down the 10, um, the 10 facets of PMBOK. Of any project, right? And <laughs> yeah. so um, what, she's, what she said is that it's really a continuum between waterfall and agile. And where do you fall and kind of what's the extremes on both ends? And then, um, and then it's really having a conversation around where you fall. And where you want to be, because although you fall on the waterfall side in terms of stakeholder management, maybe that's where the culture of the company um, almost dictates where you are. So um, I actually printed out her presentation. I have it right on my desk and I refer to it quite a bit because um, it's great to have that conversation around that hybrid. Yeah. And I think the other part of that PMI report that came out is the importance of doing something disciplined. Right. As opposed to being completely ad hoc without discipline, it doesn't pick agile, pick waterfall, pick iterative. It doesn't matter. But the results, again, are, are, are there in the data, right? 63% of the projects in budget when you use a methodology, doesn't matter which one, but only 48% when you don't, right? And to say that I'm going to do a project and I've got a 50-50 shot of being on budget, to me, is unacceptable, right? I mean, mm -hmm. just pick what you want to go with. Make it be blended. Make it be hybrid or go agile or waterfall. I just think pick one. <laughs> Agreed. This is the third show and I've been waiting for the agile versus waterfall discussion. We haven't <laughs> had it. So thank you both for bringing that to well, the show. I will have to, I said, I agreed with the pick one, but I think it's pick hybrid, pick hybrid. And then, yeah. and then I've never um, really seen a true, again, even the waterfall, um, because the business is always saying, can we have that faster? Can we have that better? Can we have this, whatever, right? So even though we implement the waterfall where we don't go to production until everything is done, it, it's some, there's still a blend, right? We, we still have some type of uh, having our business owners coming look at, at, at the features that we've built. It may not be in production, but they're still looking before, before the end results or mm -hmm. the, you know, the completion. So there's some, there's always something in the, in that project that lends itself to the techniques. And I, and I just, you know, I don't want to, I use the word technique for a, re a reason or, you know, because it's, I, I feel like, a waterfall has all of these different facets of it that you can just kind of pick which uh, uh, item in there and put it in your little toolbox and say, I'm going to use that piece, right? Mm -hmm. And the same with Agile. I'm going to pick up, out that one. I'm going to put that in my toolbox. And when you, and if you have a, a good relationship with your PMO, you can say, let's take a look at this particular project that we have in front of us. What should be our approach? You know, she, you should always have a game plan. You know, I'm also a rock climber. So mm -hmm. before you hit that rock and you want to climb up that, you got to have a plan, yes. you know. And it's not falling. <laughs> that's, that's step number one. Don't yes. fall. <laughs> you know, but you got to have the right partners. Um, do the, you know, do, have, are they, 
uh, seasoned? Do they understand how to put uh, do the knots? Do they, you know, it's all of making sure you have the right game plan and have all the right team players. So uh, I think that every project needs to have that up front. How are we going to tackle this one? Mm-hmm. Well, for those listening, I think if you're a purist, either your waterfall or your agile, I think a great future show would be to get a, a, a nice debate between people who are absolute purists and have them go at it on air and let's see where the, where the, <laughs> the chips may fall with that one. You got to do it, Joe. That <laughs> so another thing about projects, right, is a, a reason I love them is every project brings about change, right? You don't do a project unless there's a new product or service at the end or maybe an improved product or service. So change management really becomes so important on a project. I know, Kristen, how, how do you, have you seen change management being important? It's so from change management perspective, it usually, well, it's usually on the business side and, and at, at PetSmart, when you're trying to move from a store perspective, you know, if you're trying to train 50,000 employees because you're just making a change, it's really important that you partnering with your training department and, and building out an understanding of how this new feature or product is going to work in their environment. So um, it's extraordinarily important to have a game plan um, of how you're going to implement that. I think uh, if you miss it, you're doing a huge disservice to your your stores. And um, if you have internal change management, change is hard. Everybody resists change. It's how how do you present it? Well, in in all of our projects, you have to have change management in some to some degree. And Carrie, I'd imagine working with end customers, right? Your your just presence results in change for them. How do, how do they cope with change and how do you help them overcome the difficulties? Yeah, I think um, what I like about the focus on change management is it's what Kristen said earlier, it's really around the people. And so you get an opportunity to focus on the people part of the project, right? It's not the, I'm in technology also, so it's not the technology or how the architecture will be different, but actually how the people will be different and how the people will behave differently. And so I think it's a rare opportunity. Uh, Unfortunately, on most of the projects I've been on, it's an afterthought. And so, um, you know, I remember way back when in my PricewaterhouseCooper days, we, we had dedicated organizational change management experts that would come on and, um, be right there alongside, uh, the project. Um, and I haven't seen that in years, unfortunately. Yeah, the co- people are trying to get down costs, right? So right. Our, our department as well um, was, sh- you know, shrunk dramatically. So it was one of the easy hits. Mm-hmm. And I actually am seeing today more of the business analysts doing that role. So not only do, do they have the unique role of being able to identify the outcomes, right? So in our vernacular is really switching from solution-driven to outcome-driven. So you know, maybe in years past, it was, how do I implement Microsoft Outlook? And now it's, how do I send an email efficiently? It's not really about, you know, it's really about that outcome. I want to be able to communicate with Kristen and Joe. Business analysts, I know the business analyst plays a key role there, but they're also, I think, I'll say burdened. Uh, You know, I've never really had this conversation with a business analyst, but they're almost burdened with also having to tackle the the change management piece. Yeah. Yeah. and some, it depends again on the organization and how they've done it. But yeah, I mean, it, without the VA though, the, even if they have an IT uh, support team to be able to train, they don't know how it works without the VA, right? So it's a partnership as well in, in that. And because they're the SME, they're the ones gathering the requirements, the screenshots, uh, how is this going to, how is this functioning for my user? Is it doing what it, it's supposed to do for the user? So that is, is uh, you know, 
Uh, and it's, it's not easy because putting together training material, I actually worked at uh, NCR and I had a, a product where I had to actually build out the training material for the end user. Well, that'll get you a, become a SME real fast, yeah. <laughs> you know, but I, I learned, uh, I had to use new software. I had to learn all these different things that I've never learned how to do in order to train my user. So part of my own gro- growth, uh, but it was, it, it's, I spent hours you know, making sure that the users would actually know how to use this product at the end of the day. So it does depend on the uh, um, organization. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the the most experienced good project managers or BAs have tools in their toolbox that go beyond just their job description, right? So knowing that right our first show, we had Jill Smith on and we talked about project management, soft skills and communication mm-hmm. and change management is such a big component of those soft skills. So whether you're a BA or a PM, I think the ability to understand, even if you're not implementing the change management, but to understand that change management is a piece of it Mm -hmm. so that your teammates and your customers are being impacted by what you're working on helps to make you more productive, right? So again, make sure that we have a broader worldview of what our role is and, and our influence on others. Yeah, that's why I'm excited about my latest project because we're starting, we're not starting with let's teach you about the software. We're starting with, let's talk about transformation readiness. Let's do a maturity assessment and a a diagnostic. Let's talk about how not only the people process technology, but how does the vision fit into this? Where does your leadership, um, how do they support this initiative? And so um, I'm I guess I'm excited because I really feel like that is going to set a better foundation and have more solid legs as we get closer and closer to the software conversation. So Kara, you've worked for some huge organizations, right? SAP and GE. How do you stand out in in those sorts of organizations and not be a little fish in a big pond? Oh, good question. Good question. I think um, one of the things that jumped to mind immediately, and Kristen may be able to uh, relate, is that technology is mostly male-driven, right? So, I mean, just almost being a woman, and I hate, I hate to, you know, almost point that out, but being a woman in the room is almost what highlights, but not to be in. There's there's a very interesting article called the Smurfette syndrome or something, where it's like, <laughs> have you heard this? No. no, it's 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 essentially where making sure that as an individual contributor or as a leader, that you're standing out for not only your experience and what's um, where your strengths are and what you can contribute, stand out for those, not because you're a, an oddity in the room, right? So, so interesting article there. But um, I think it's really around being able to educate others on the big picture and see the big picture. I really like what Kristen said earlier around that big picture and understanding. And I think, I think, um, that there are, there are people within big organizations that have been doing their, their job for so long, or, you know, everybody, uh, is intimidated by change. And I think with having a vision, being able to educate others on that big picture and being able to almost have a sense of calm in the storm Mm -hmm. really, um, allows you to stand out in those big organizations. I love that. And Kristen, I I know you've talked a little bit about us, a rock climber, a runner, a (laughs) president of a local chapter, a product owner, uh, but also interestingly, entrepreneurial background and a patent holder. 
I am. I had a, uh, a short stint in my life that I was able to go out and build my own product. I had a crazy idea that I would take on Visa. Um, so this was way back, uh, 2003 time era. So think of what the technology looked like. PayPal had just come on board. eBay was just getting started. The internet was not, you know, dial-up was still a thing. Um, so um, working in the convenience store industry, one of the biggest line items in their P&L was credit card fees. And so I thought, well, I have a brainstorm. Let's think about other ways to be able to do this. So um, actually, I was uh, honored enough to partner with my dad, and and we actually built an entire uh, self-sustaining system to take payment, and uh, we saved uh, our pat- uh, patrons uh, ten cents per gallon. We were uh, on the wall, uh, front page of the Wall Street Journal. We were on Nightline, and and it was quite an honor. And uh, we ran out of money, uh, <laughs> as entrepreneurs go, but it was a really great experience. It was, you know. When I was in the convenience store, I had had learned technology there. That was my first um, real taste of what technology was. But then when I started this, I really learned technology and what it was capable of. And we were actually the very first company that I know of. We were able to remotely turn a pump on and off. Uh, That was 2003. So it was really cool. I got to work with some really, really smart guys. And um, I I will always uh, cherish that time. And I've learned lots of things. And so in all my interviews now, I say, you've you've got the best of me. I'm not making uh, the same mistakes anymore. (laughs) What a great way to learn though, right? Yeah, right. Um, So, but it was a, um, it was a really uh, uh, good experience and I learned a lot. So I would never, never change a thing. Great. Well, we're starting to wind down here. We're approaching uh, our time. And I want to thank both of you so much. I think we've had a a fantastic discussion. And I believe our listeners are going to take a lot away from today's discussion. So I want to give you one last opportunity to talk about how others can get in touch with you. Or if you have events coming up, how you could promote them. And Kristen, I I know you. Yeah, so um, definitely check out the phoenix.iba.org. We have events every single uh, month where BAs, even PMs are welcome to chat about the most exciting things about your your own profession. We have speakers that uh, it's always interactive. Um, again, we have our bad events. It's uh, sponsored by ASPE on September 18th. And you can reach me um, by going to the website and you can find the board members as well. And uh, my email there is there if you want to reach out to me. Um, and we're also always looking for people who want to mentor. We are involved with a- ASU and getting people to understand how to create a BA uh, career. You can reach me there if you're interested in learning more. Great. Thank you so much for being on today. And Carrie? Yep. Uh, the best way to get a hold of me is my LinkedIn page. Um, so it's under Carolyn, which is my official name, which I know you'll be asking our nicknames, Carrie, mm-hmm. um, and, or through Twitter. So at CJ Van Sickle is my Twitter handle. Great. Thank you so much for being on today as well. Thank you. So this is a reminder that we are live at 12 o'clock noon on the first and third Thursday of each month. Our next show will be April 5th. And that's a special day, my 50th birthday. So really looking forward to that show. Oh, happy pre-birthday. Yes. yes thank you. <laughs> uh, and I know uh, we'll have at least one leader from Honeywell on that day. So we're bringing more Phoenix local business leaders in to talk with us during project management office hours. I also want to thank our sponsor, the PMO Squad. They're 100% project management focused 100% of the time, providing leadership to set up project management best practices 
PMOs, project management training, and PM software selection and support, and as well, project managers to run your key strategic initiatives. So that's it for now. Office hours are now closed. Until next time, PMO Joe, and you've been listening to Project Management Office Hours, our retrospective on project management lessons learned.